0: hello jordan what's going on michael not much my man you got a you're filming a youtube video today i just met your videographer
1: i really wish we were doing these on video so we could see mitch my videographer right here next to me right now filming for this youtube video but we don't have the video podcast up yet but we will soon I don't think they believe us. I think it, this has been going on too
0: long that that the listeners of the podcast no longer believe there will ever be video podcasts.
1: Which is good because when they are available, they're going to be super excited about it. It's a form of like under-promising and over-delivering, right? Mm. Where it's like if they just don't even believe us, then once it does happen, it's going to be the best.
0: We're setting the expectation that this will be audio only forever, but you never know. You
1: never know, man. Also, Mitch, should I move my the microphone here, or is that good? You're good. Cool. Okay. Awesome. Just checking with Mitch. I'm trying to get good content while making content. You know what I mean? <laughs> weekly vlogs, right? Yeah, weekly vlogs. Weekly vlogs. It's going really well. That's awesome. Yeah. Are you enjoying it, dude? I really like it. Mitch is great. Um, it's fun. It's it's just it's been a good time, and it's it's uh, there hasn't been too much stress around it. It's just. Showing whatever I'm doing and then answering questions, so it's fun.
0: And and highlighting the relevant like fitness stuff within your daily life. Yeah, it's like documenting what you're doing, but then also like, okay, I'm gonna highlight this. I'm gonna talk about this.
1: Yeah, and and like in the last one that we published yesterday, we did we did like three in depth questions from my Instagram Q and A. So like we did an RDL technique video, which was like a super comprehensive RDL technique. Then we also spoke about like my my six non-negotiables for a healthy diet. Uh, so there were a bunch of like different type of questions that like that were answering very common questions that people have, which is really what good content is, is just you just answer questions that people have and you solve their problems. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's fun. How are you doing, man? I'm good.
0: I'm real good. Been crushing programs. Got the inboxes to zero. Wow. Yep. It was, it was a good productive week I'm recording this on Friday. Last weekend I had my annual golf tournament, which we won. So pretty
1: happy about that. And you hit a huge putt. How long was that putt? I did. I hit 165 foot putt. 165 foot putt. That video. I wish you put that video on Instagram. That, that should be your first post back. No, no.
0: I mean, seven people would like to see that, but most people do not care about that. Mm
1: -mm. I think everyone would because of how excited you were about it. Seven people would like to see it for the skill of it, but everyone would like to see because of how stoked you were about it. Like that was the best part of the video. We'll see. We'll (laughs) see. It was fun. I mean, very lucky,
0: right? Like like the thing broke 30 feet left to right. I don't think I could hit that again in 10,000 tries. I think you could. I would put money on you
1: doing it. One in 10,000. I'll take those odds. Thanks, Jordan. How much would you bet on that? Man, a thousand (laughs) dollars. Okay. All right. That is some confidence. Oh, dude, I'm super confident in your golf ability.
0: I don't think you should be that confident, although my game is better than it has been in years past. It was good enough to get the W for Team Stick. So pretty pleased with that. And yeah, man, everything's good. What uh what are we starting off with today? We can dive right into questions. Okay. Cool. I want to let you get some good content. I don't just want to like, you know, completely BS the whole episode. I want to give everyone listening some good stuff and we have a bunch of good questions. Let's do that. Let's do questions. We'll just jump right in and then we'll we'll figure it out. Maybe we'll have a mid episode just kind of break screw around.
1: Yeah. I like that.
0: I've been loving all the tags. I've been on Instagram a little bit this week, just kind of poking around, seeing what's out there. Mm. A lot of people tagging both of us and, and listening to the podcast on morning walks and, you know, during cardio and doing various things. I'm into it. So shout out to all of you. Huge
1: thanks to everyone who does that. Yeah, that's amazing. Because we don't, we don't push this podcast basically ever. Yes. Yes. <laughs> 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 so huge thank you to everyone who does do that. It it means the world to us. It actually does help a lot. Um but yeah, so all all the tags and all the the shares of the episodes it means the world to us. So thank you so much. Let's dive in. What's the first question, Michael?
0: Oh, I had a this isn't this is a random comment. I remember probably 40 episodes ago, we were talking, I think we were talking about uh the most important factors in X. I don't remember if it was like building muscle or getting stronger. It, It might've been building muscle, but, um, proper range of motion was on the list. And I remember we were both like, man, I wish we could put this higher on the list because it matters so much. But for the purpose that like, I think you said, I've seen enough giants in the gym exercising terrible range of motion who put on dozens and dozens and dozens of pounds of muscle. So like, it clearly doesn't matter that much there was an interesting study. I'm going to butcher all the details, but the, the conclusion was if it's the top half of the range of motion, Mm -hmm. right? So if you're thinking of a bench press, you're only like going down halfway and back up that elicits very little recruitment. Mm -hmm. Whereas if it's the bottom half Mm -hmm. of the range of motion, so sometimes you'll see those, like, it's kind of like a constant tension style, but almost more just bouncing off the bottom half of the range. Yeah. That is producing that muscle growth. So thinking back to that episode, breaking that out into like, is it the bottom half of the range, which is harder and more effective or the top half of the range, which is less effective. I thought that was interesting.
1: Yeah. Makes total sense as well. Like if if you're going all the way to the bottom and you, you're getting a full stretch, right? That's a, a huge portion of actually like breaking down the muscle and like full on muscle recruitment. Whereas like you get that full muscular stretch. I could see that having a much greater impact than like just doing the top half of the rep. That makes total sense. Yeah. I want to say like full range and bottom half of the
0: range were very close in in whatever they were measuring. And then top half was nowhere to be found.
1: I've been seeing lately so much content around like perfect technique for hypertrophy lately. And like talking about like, separating the divisions of the muscles in order to hit it properly and on one hand it's cool but on the other hand I think it's making people overthink this shit way too like they're looking for the perfect angle to hit their muscle in the exact right way to get the exact division of the fibers It's like shut the fuck up just lift yeah just lift And and I, I think one of the reasons coaches are doing it is because number one, they're like actually starting to learn about physiology and kinesiology and like, oh, they're learning like the, the divisions of the fibers and learning the ways that they, the, the, the lines of pull. So they want to talk about it. But I think it's actually causing a ton of confusion and anxiety for people who just need to fucking lift more. And it's like, it's really, it's not like if you are a professional bodybuilder, sure. I could see that like, and, and you really need to bring up one portion of a muscle or whatever. Great. But for the vast majority of people are really overthinking like the exact line of pull that this must like relax, you know, like, and I know you're not on Instagram that much, so you might not see this, but I, it's, I've seen some of it. It's really taken over lately.
0: Especially when a lot of the people consuming that content are struggling with things like consistently getting to the gym getting enough protein, (laughs) having their sleep in a good place, like using proper technique on most movements. Like when those are the current hurdles and then you're worrying about line of pull and whatever else these people are talking about. Um, yeah, you're, you're, uh, what is it? Stepping over dollars to pick up pennies. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's
1: a great saying. I like that.
0: Do you think those coaches are doing this uh, for marketing, for differentiation so that it's almost like, uh, like 20 years ago, having a six pack secret, Mm. right? Like, you know, I'm doing something different or I'm teaching something different. And if you follow my methodology, you'll see better progress than these other people. Or do you think it's, uh, a genuine belief in that or, or genuine belief that those principles are important for their audience?
1: I think it's both and maybe even more. So I think on one hand, they, they legitimately think it's important. They think it's like super beneficial. I also think they're doing it because um, they want to stand out and and say like, well, no one else is talking about this. But also, I think a subset of wanting to stand out is knowing that by standing out in this capacity, they think they're impressing people with their knowledge Right. It's like, they're looking for to impress other coaches and they're looking to impress people with their, their knowledge. Like, well, look how much I know about the divisions of these muscles. And look how much I know about the line of pull of these muscles. And so much of their content is geared towards trying to get other coaches saying, God, you're so smart. That's really where I think the majority of it is coming from. Um, And they, I think they also believe that if other people think they're smart, then that will get them more clients and more money. And which I think is true to a point where like they will get more clients if people think like that person is so unbelievably smart. But if there's one thing I've learned from watching the fitness industry for the last 15 years, it's like these things come and go. I've like, over like always these fads, they come and go. They like something like this will come in. People say the importance of the, the line of pull and the divisions of the fibers. And like, they, they get like super intense on it. And then six months, a year, two years goes by. And then like something else has to happen and they come in cycles and they come and go. And the one thing that I know for sure is that doing things because you think other people will think you're smart is a surefire way to fail in the long run, a surefire way to have a lot of, um, imposter syndrome. And it's a surefire way that I've seen for people to get really pissed off because inevitably what's going to happen is people will copy your content. This will happen no matter what. So if you start off making this new type of content would cool, great, awesome other people will pick up on it and other people will start doing it. And that's why it runs its course because so many people will start to pick up on it. It's no longer unique or anything like that. So once that starts to happen, then it will start to diminish and and something else will have to come up. So, and then people get pissed off because like, well, you're copying my content. You didn't know that before I posted about it. It's like, who cares? Now they're posting about it. It's like, so it doesn't matter anymore. And you never look good by being bitter and upset that someone else has stolen your content. Not to mention it's like, you learned it from somebody else. So you stole it from somebody else. And anyway, like there's, there's no original stuff at this point. It's like, you're just figuring out new ways to package the same, the same information. We all stand on the shoulders of giants. Yeah, that's exactly right. Except for Martin Burkhan,
0: who did discover intermittent yeah. fasting.
1: And Alan Aragon <laughs> and Lyle McDonald. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, those
0: are the giants.
1: <laughs> and Eric Cressy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Those are the giants on shoulders, on the, whose shoulders we stand. All right. Let's talk. uh, Here's one. Do you do sponsorships? Got it. Yeah. So this is a good question. I was literally just asked this question on my Instagram. Someone asked, are you sponsored by Zen Basil? Which to be fair, it's a fair question because I've been posting about them a lot. So I've been posting about these basil seeds that I've been having because two tablespoons has like 15 grams of fiber. And I've just been on a huge fiber kick and I really enjoy them. Um, it's a fair question because I think if you are sponsored by someone, you should disclose that. I think it's important, and I think a lot of people want to know if you're sponsored by something just so they know if, like, if you're getting a commission check or if you're getting money as a result of it. So I, I understand why this person asked, um, but no, I'm not sponsored by them, and I don't do sponsorships uh, because I think it can severely impact the way that you it, when you are getting paid for something. Without question, it, whether you want it to or not, you have an inherent bias as a result of get, now getting paid for it. Um, so, in terms of like these Zen Basil seeds, no, I'm I'm not sponsored by them. Like, and and actually, the woman who owns the company has been she literally has been in tears sending me like messages on Instagram saying like, thank you so much. Like you've changed our business. Every time you post about it, we have like a new record day of sales. And I tell her, and she, she's asked, she's like, can we pay you? Can we sponsor you? Can we do something together? And every single time I say, no, I don't want to do that because I don't want that to cloud. Like, I don't want that to get in the way of, of why I'm posting or why I actually really enjoy your product. Um, And I think she's sort of been blown away by that. And like, she doesn't really know how to handle it. She's like, no, but I want to give you something. She literally said, (laughs) can I host a virtual baby shower for your daughter? She was like, I want to do something just to say thank you. I'm like, just nothing. Just the only reason I'm promoting it is because I really enjoy it. That's it. Now, I don't think sponsorships are inherently bad. I think that if if you really enjoy a product um, and the company reaches out, like sure, you're more than welcome to do that. But I do think it's important to be aware that as soon as money is introduced into the equation, you are inherently non-biased. Like you, you cannot give a non-biased review anymore. You have stake in what's going on, um, and it can impact what you're saying and why you're saying it and how you're saying it. And if your goal is to be as truthful as possible and to give people the best possible content information, I would be very wary of doing sponsorships. Not to mention, I think this is equally important. A lot of people doing sponsorships, they're they're like not getting paid that much. Like sponsorships are not going to give you that much money unless you have a gargantuan audience like the Kardashians or whatever. It's like your time would be better spent taking on more coaching clients and working with more clients and, and creating better content rather than selling out for a $500 commission check. Like it, it's just usually it's not worth it for all of those reasons, especially the last one. You stole all the good points, Shard. Oh, took sorry. i got Mitch here. I got to get good content. <laughs> yeah. You got to <laughs> get it in the YouTube video. I'm
0: with you. Uh, we're, we're on the complete same page with this. I might even Believe everything you just said, except more strongly than you. My man, Mitch. Um, Yeah, I I don't do any sponsorships. Same thing. I think that uh, one, you need a massive audience to make real, real money doing it. Um, So I couldn't make that much money doing sponsorships. And the amount of money that I could make is not enough to, like, Taking money from a sponsor is a short-term gain, but you also have the long-term loss of trust and goodwill with your audience. And it's not big. Like you, I'm not saying sponsorships are bad, but there is a degree of like, okay, now I know that this person only pushes this specific supplement line, therefore, and they're getting paid for it. Even if they believe that something else is better, they're not going to tell me that partly because they can't, Because like if if you're at that sponsorship and then they saw you posting about it, and and, and partly because they're just not going to because they're not financially incentivized to. Um, So for that reason, I always thought that uh, that type of monetization doesn't make sense, especially if you're in it for the long run. If you're going to be coaching people, if you're going to be helping people, if you're going to be monetizing your service, coaching, membership, whatever it is, for not just years but decades – there's absolutely no reason to sell out and cash grab early on. Yeah. And, and, you know, I've, I don't have desire for fame. If I ever did and like really went hard and really tried to get a massive audience and could generate like five figures a month from a sponsorship deal, I might do that with something like clothes. Mm. Like, like if it was like white t that type of, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like white tees. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'd sell out on clothes. I would not wear what, cause I, I don't care that much. Yeah. Like yeah. if they ship me like nice, like cool clothes that weren't $4 each, but were like $50 t-shirts and I liked them and they were a good fit and they paid me five figures a month. I'd be like, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. I'll wear these and like, Hey, I don't like the, the Hanes shirts anymore. These are the shirts. Hanes shirts. Discount suck. code down below. <laughs> <laughs> I always hated those things. Cheap. They got pit stains. You had to buy new ones like every so often. Um, but I don't see any ethical overlap there because it's, uh, like what you're putting in your body is different and health is different than fashion. Yeah. Respect. And, and, and the bottom, bottom line is you need a massive audience to make real money doing it. Yeah. And, and I don't like, I don't want to annoy my audience. (laughs) Like say it, we don't have a. We don't have advertisements. I'm just laughing because it's like, oh, you really don't annoy. <laughs> like you never <laughs> annoy us. <laughs> but we don't have advertisements on this podcast. Correct. And we've had offers. Yeah. Like we don't we don't want to push uh, whatever the the product is or whatever the service or you know s- someone offering to pay to come on the podcast to promote their guru mentorship. Like we don't want any of that. We don't want the backdoor like silent money it's not worth it from a branding perspective and it's not worth it from like based on your and my values and philosophy and the way we approach business
1: and life. So I'll never forget. I I don't remember who it was, but I'll never forget someone saying something to the effect of, I just want to get enough followers where I can have like my own code that they can use to like, so they like, like, I don't know, like their name 10 to, like, get a, a a percentage off because they thought that was the pinnacle of, of, of I made it and I have got clout and da-da-da. Dah. I'm an influencer. And it was so funny because I was thinking about it and I was like, that person is not making much money at all. Like, maybe a couple hundred a month, like, based on, like, that, like, it, it was not much. But I was like, would you really sell out just for that? Like, that's, it's not worth it. It's just, it's not, not to mention, like, maybe five, seven years ago, it could have been a bigger deal, but anyone can have a code now because all these companies, anyone could have a a code then too. (laughs) (laughs) All these companies know, like it's such a influencer marketing is such a huge way to drive business and get more brand awareness. Like they'll give anyone a fucking code. You've got 20 followers. They'll give you a code because the way that it works is like, you have a code, you, you get like X percent of however many you sell. And oftentimes it's not even that. Oftentimes your code is you'll get like uh, x percent off of your own purchases from their company. Like mm-hmm. sometimes these codes are not even paying you. They're like, yeah, we'll give you ten percent off of whatever you order. So it's like you just get a little discount. It's like it's really it's a <laughs> great it's a great deal for the business. The business is, is crushing it. It's so smart. So yeah, it's just it's it's really usually not worth it unless it's a significant amount. And, and it has to be something you stand behind, especially if it's fitness related. It, it has to be.
0: Yeah. 100%. Okay. Let's jump into what about this? So this is a question we got via email. Uh, what about the students who cannot afford the fitness business mentorship? I've been following you guys. I admire you. I'm upset. I can't have this amount of money at any point in my life or for the next year, which I can spend on this course, and I'm afraid that I won't be able to work with you guys?
1: Yeah, so I mean, number one, for the vast majority of my life, I wouldn't have been able to afford something like this either. It's only like in the last few years where this is something that is actually doable for me as well. So I very much empathize with that and understand where you're coming from. Um, The good news is like, you don't need it. Which, like, for whatever it's worth, this is not a good sales pitch for the mentorship because we're essentially saying <laughs> you don't need it. But everything that you need is freely available or available for minimal cost. Like, most of the, the things that I've done that I've learned, I've learned for free online. Website articles and uh, or books that, like, didn't cost that much. Um the vast majority of my knowledge comes from these freely available things that I've learned from people who are smarter than me. And then Mike and I have this podcast in which we explain them to you. And the other equation of that is simply just putting it into practice. It's just doing it. Now, I think one of the benefits of the mentorship is Especially in the courses that we have, we have different courses for like you know for SEO and for marketing and client psychology and for uh, content creation. All this stuff. One of the main reasons for these courses is not to show you. It's not to say like this is the one way to succeed, right? So one of my favorite quotes as a teacher: Your job as a teacher it's not to tell people what to see; it's to show them where to look. Mm. That's one of my favorite quotes. I don't want to tell you what to see. Mike and I are in the mentorship. We're not telling you what to see. We're just showing you where to look. And one of the main benefits of the mentorship is preventing you from making the same mistakes that we made along the way. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But the mistakes that we made along the way didn't prevent us from succeeding. It just took us longer than some of the people in the mentorship are because they're not making the same mistakes. It just took us longer. So the amount of time it took us to, to see real success is now a fraction because we're sort of helping prevent them from making the same mistakes. It doesn't mean you can't succeed without it. It just might take a little bit longer because you're inevitably going to make more mistakes because you don't have as much structure. But it all boils down to the same thing that we say every time, which is as long as you don't quit, you'll succeed. You just can't just don't fucking quit. Keep learning keep putting out content and keep helping people. That's really it. If you keep doing that and you take the free advice that we've put into this podcast, the hours and hours and hours and hours that we've put in this podcast, and you, you read the books that we've recommended and you listen to the things that we recommend and you take action, you'll succeed. It's just, it's going to take a while. And by a while, I don't mean a week or a month or a year. It's going to take several years. Like Mike and I have been very open about how it took us like literally, like two years before we started making any type of money whatsoever, never mind like real income in our business. Took like four, five, six years before it really started to happen. So like, it's going to take a significant amount of time. But th- you don't need the mentorship. You don't. I mean, again, not a good sales pitch for it, but it's the truth. You don't need it. But if you want a, a more uh, sufficient roadmap and you want to avoid the same mistakes that we made and you want a great community, it's there. But I mean. I didn't have that. I know you didn't have that. Like we created it because we thought it would be helpful for people, and it very much is. But like you don't need it. It's it's not and it's not a necessity.
0: Yeah, you can go out there and find quote unquote mentors, people who you trust who are putting out good, useful, helpful, accurate content for free, and and follow what they're saying. Like Jordan just mentioned this podcast. I actually had someone DM me recently saying that. I don't remember he or she, I don't remember who it was, but went back to episode one and was re-listening and talking about all of the like gold nuggets they were picking up that they hadn't noticed the first time through. Um, it's, it's evergreen content, right? 90% of it stands the test of time. It's not like some current year guru hack strategy. These are concepts that still apply, that we still stand behind. And, uh, yeah. So if you can't afford the mentorship, don't Here's what you shouldn't do. You shouldn't go take out a loan and put yourself in debt and join the mentorship and and then have a scarcity mindset and try and earn your money back in a matter of six weeks because you need to pay this loan. Like, don't do that. Use the free content that's available. And, like you said, execute, right? Consistently each day, put in work. And uh, yeah, we hope to continue to help with more and more of these weekly uploads, which may or may not be in video format. Soon.
1: (laughs) Soon. Maybe. Soon. (laughs) Bro, are you in your office right now?
0: Mm -hmm. Just like you, Jordan. Just like you.
1: (laughs) Just like you. (laughs)
0: Just like you. What's next? Let's talk about, let's keep it on the business theme right now. Quality versus quantity of content. Mm. Do you want to take this one first? I think that I actually was having a thought the other day and I'm I'm not even sure this is right or correct. So it's more of an open discussion that, okay. Would you agree that across the board, across all platforms over the last 12 to 24 months, engagement has decreased? Yes. So a lot of people say, Oh, the algorithm, the algorithm stinks. I used to be able to get this reach. Now I can't get this reach. I actually think that it's because there are more creators and a limited amount of attention, Mm -hmm. right? So if, if there are more total, if you aggregate all YouTube videos, all shorts, all TikToks, all Instagram, all Facebook, if you aggregate all of the creation, there's only so many eyeballs in the world who have so much time each to be consuming that. And then if you increase the amount, if you increase the output of content, you know there will there will still be cream rising to the top, of course. But on average, you're going to have fewer people engaging with each piece of content. Mm-hmm. and And so, in this era of more creators, I actually I mean, look, quantity absolutely matters. and And because so many people struggle with perfectionism, I'm hesitant to even say what I'm about to say because most people do just need to make more stuff, right? If you're making one post a month or one post a week and 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 you're just sitting around wondering whether or not you should publish it or not and like post more. But a lot of the people going really hard multiple times a day, TikTok reels, shorts everywhere, I actually think would see a drastic improvement and would stand out. If they put more time into focusing on the quality of their content. Dude, I agree completely. And, and quality being, you know, everything from as, as little as like focusing on the little things on your own, better lighting, uh, smile, rather than just being completely stoic throughout the entire thing you're saying. Um, you know, potentially doing a little editing yourself, taking out ums, ahs, like, like dead time. Um, easy, like things you can do yourself scaling that all the way up to having a videographer, if that's something that's in your wheelhouse or, or outsourcing a little bit of help, even if it's not a full-time videographer uh, or editor. Um, those are things that, or those and any other ways to increase the quality of your content are ways that are going to help you stand out from other people in your industry, in the space, any other creator.
1: I completely agree. I I always think back to like long form content uh, website articles, because that's what we both started with. And I remember vividly refreshing Martin Birkin's website every day, seeing if he had published a new article. And I knew it would only come out like maybe once a week, once every two weeks or so, because they were long and they were in-depth and they were well-researched. And as soon as I saw that it was up, I got so excited and the reality, like I see it happening now on my Instagram page. People will will go back and they'll refresh and they'll refresh and they'll refresh to see if like I have a new story up. They'll refresh and they'll refresh, they'll refresh to see if I have a new post up. Uh, and they'll message me like you haven't posted. What's going on? Where are you? Da, 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 da. Um it's not because like they they want more, more, more. It's because when I do post, it's worth it, especially with like a QA. I see a lot of people doing Q and A's and I used to do this. It's funny because I can look back in my archives and see Q and A's from like four or five years ago and they weren't nearly as good as they are now. Like my Q and A's then were were shorter answers, like a couple of word answers. Now, like my Q&A answers, they're long. And I deliberately write, touch and hold the screen to read. Number one, because there are some people messaging me being like, they're so long, I don't have enough time to read it. And I'm like, Jesus (laughs) fucking Christ, you just hold it down and then it pauses. But also because I want to give them the, the not the verbal cue, but the visual cue. Hey, hold this because this is important to read it. And when you, those those stories take much longer for me to write. They take much more time, much more effort. And inherently, I can't do as many simply because there's it, it takes more time. But I would rather have five amazing QA stories than 20 okay QA stories, because those five amazing ones are going to get people to get their notifications turned on because they know when those stories are up, they're super excited to see it. I would rather you post three times a week on your Instagram feed and have every single one be fucking amazing. Then post 12 times a week and have everyone be okay. Like not that great because when you post three times a week and it's fucking amazing, your growth might actually be a little bit slower and, and your engagement might not be where you want to want to be, but you will get a, you will get those thousand true fans, right? You will get those a slower, steady growth of people who are overwhelmingly excited for every single time you post. And like you said, it can be it's difficult because everyone's different. And some people, they just need to post more, they just need to get out of their head and post more frequently. Like if you're only posting one time a week, I think that's it's not enough. Even if it's a really good post, you need to post more than once. But you don't need to post seven times a week, I think somewhere between three, four or five times a week of amazing posts is a really, really, really good frequency of great high quality posts to get people excited about your content. Um, Minimum three, And I would say like max in the, in the mentorship, we have these monthly challenges where we have like, we call people who do too much, like too, way too much content. We call them gurus where it's like, they, they're posting like 50 times a week, doing way too much, just posting like bullshit nonsense, just trying to get attention for no reason. It's like, it's the people who talk just to make noise rather than talk to actually make an impact. And, uh, you don't want to be a guru on that sense. Five to seven times a week of amazing content is, or three to seven times a week, excuse me, is amazing. And yes, I think generally more content is a good idea, but if more content leads to lower quality, it's you you don't have a good balance there. So you have to make sure that when you do post, it is super, super, super high quality. Um, yeah, I think, I think that's basically, it. I think there's been too much of a push for more, 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 and that's led to a lot of shitty content. When people are like, well, why aren't I actually making an impact? It's because your content's shitty. You've been posting a lot, but like it sucks. So let's make, let's post less and spend, instead of spending 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes on, on one piece of content, let's spend four hours on one piece of content and make that one piece fucking awesome. I love it. We could do
0: a whole episode on improving the
1: quality of your content. Yeah. I think captions are way, way undervalued. I think most people, especially now with reels, people are are not spending a lot of time on their captions at all, which I get it because reels are, are a much more video-based piece of content and oftentimes people aren't reading the captions as much. But Instagram has been improving the way that they push the reels and the way that they they frame them to actually make the captions easier to read now. And holy shit, like I think captions are really making a comeback. Cause when it was just an image-based uh, platform captions were everything. And then as video became more and more popular, they were, it looked like they were uh, disincentivizing long captions, but it looks like now they're bringing them back. Mm. I think it, you should be spending at least 30 to 45 minutes on your caption. It, like if you're just writing a shit caption and, and like you're not spending much time on it, you're really missing out. You really are. Cause a lot of times people will decide very early on in the video within like three seconds that they're going to watch the rest of it. But even if they don't watch the rest of the video, they might read the caption, right? They might not think that you're interesting enough on video or maybe they're not as like uh, intrigued by your video, but they'll read the caption. And then once they read the caption, then maybe they'll want to watch the video. Gives you two shots at them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. More shots on net.
0: Yeah, and and a lot of those captions can just be uh, a summary of the video, right? You're saying the same thing in the caption that you're saying in the video. Maybe you're building on it. In part, but that's a great idea. Is feeling hungry while eating maintenance
1: calories normal? Is feeling hungry while eating maintenance calories normal? Yes. Yes, it is. I mean, feeling hungry while eating in a surplus is normal. Like hunger, it's actually really funny. So um, we've been taught in our school system at a young age that we only have five senses. Like hearing, sight, smell, taste, um all that what hearing sight smell taste What's the other one touch touch yeah we've been told we have five senses we don't we actually have way more i think we have closer to 20 or 30 you can google this right now if you want like uh like how many senses do we actually have and there are way more than five um one of them being hunger Hunger is a sense. Another one is fullness. Fullness is also a sense. And these are senses that we're not really taught about, but like these are senses that we have. Like also, for example, feeling tired. That's a sense that we have. These are senses that we have that like we're not necessarily taught outside of the five common ones. And hunger has always interested me. It's always been something that I like from from when I first started getting into fitness, I think a lot of because of my binge eating issues, like I was very interested in like, how in the fuck? Am I, can I binge on like 5,000 calories and still be hungry? Like it didn't make sense. And so I got really interested in the science behind hunger. And I spent a lot of time reading Lyle McDonald and all and like a lot of uh, digging into the research around hunger and how it works. And, and unfortunately, a lot of the science around hunger is still very inconclusive. We still don't really fully understand how hunger works or why. But one thing that is definitively certain is that it's not solely based on how many calories you're eating. There are so many other factors at play outside of that. And it's normal when you're in a calorie deficit to be more hungry on a more frequent basis with a higher level of intensity than when you are eating at maintenance or in a surplus. But you'll still have moments and periods of hunger when you're in maintenance and a surplus to never be hungry is, is that just doesn't make sense. Like that you will obviously have those periods. So yes, hunger is normal. It's expected, but the fewer calories you eat, the higher amount of hunger you will have and a higher frequency that you'll have it. Well said. Um, There are things that
0: you can do to reduce the amount of hunger you have. If it's like a uncomfortable level of hunger, right? So it's normal to be hungry. That being said, if you're supposedly eating at maintenance, scale's not moving and you're hungry consistently throughout the day, if you've hit all your calories for the day by 6 p.m. and you're hungry before bed, if, if like you're just very often hungry and important- The scale isn't moving like you actually are at maintenance you're not at estimated maintenance and you're actually in a 500 calorie deficit you're actually near your maintenance level um sleep is a big one so getting enough high quality sleep is going to lead to uh, better more accurate hunger cues and on average you feeling more satisfied on the same intake the next day or in in the coming days right because like that sleep bank is cumulative to an extent um stress levels, which some are within our control, some are outside of our control, uh, but recognizing the difference between I'm physiologically hungry and uh, something just happened and I experienced a negative emotion and I want to now have a positive emotion, uh, not to focus on like one neurotransmitter, but Anna Lemke in her book, Dopamine Nation talks about this. If, if you're, if you're on one side of like the dopamine deficit, um, then there are, are strategies and things people will do to rebalance. That's interesting. Yeah. And, and, you know, binge eating or just, you know, slightly overeating or eating when you're not actually hungry and eating the scientifically created highly palatable foods in the billion dollar industry, trillion dollar industry. I don't even know that, uh, that exists to make money at the expense of the health of us. Um, they've engineered these foods to be so delicious that, yeah, I'm going to go for the Oreo and I'm not having one because I feel like shit that, you know, X, Y, Z, bad thing happened at work. So I'm going to have, or you tell yourself you're going to have one, like I'll just have one Oreo. It's like, (laughs) no, you're not just going to have one Oreo. Um, And boredom is the other one that comes to mind, right? So sleep, stress. And uh, I think boredom actually probably falls under the like stress uh, whatever you're, you're trying to feel better, using food as a way to feel better, whereas just sitting in that boredom, you know, meditating. I know meditating's n- not your favorite thing in the world, but for some people, it, it absolutely <laughs> works. But doing doing other things that, not to keep quoting that book, but for example, there's another um, strategy that she used, which when you're in a dopamine deficit, rather than trying to create pleasure mm-hmm. through food, sex, drugs, anything like that. Um, There are other strategies where you lean into the pain, Mm. lean into the deficit. Mm. And one of those is like a three minute ice bath, which, you know, we're not, we're not trying to burn the brown fat or whatever, but uh, we are the, your, your brain in the minutes and hours after a three minute ice bath has like I don't remember the exact stats, but some massive increase in dopamine levels. And then they sustain. Whereas, you know, something like cocaine, to take an extreme example, your dopamine levels shoot up and then they pretty quickly come back down. Post ice bath, they go up and they stay up. And it's a very gradual decrease over something like five hours.
1: That makes total sense. Yeah, that makes total sense, man.
0: There's there's a, there's a lot to hunger.
1: Yeah, I was also thinking of... Uh... You're talking about boredom and mindless eating, which I think are, are huge ones. Uh, I think alcohol consumption often like will will really affect it as well. Um, obviously, like the the type of foods that you eat, like a higher protein is going to help a lot. Um, but also, oh, this is what I was going to say. This is one of the reasons why I really like have, having um, some calorie cycling involved, mm. where you have some higher days mixed in with lower days, because we, we know for sure that especially if you've been in a deficit for a while and and your, your leptin is low, your hunger is going to be high. We know that. And, and we've we've noticed that if you have strategic days where you can spike leptin, then your, your hunger will decrease as a result of it. And so there are ways to do this where some people will have like one high calorie day a week or they'll have like a refeed day, whatever you want to call it. This is one of the reasons why I prefer having like three higher calorie days a week and four lower calorie days. And on the higher calorie days, really focusing on carbohydrates because carbohydrates are they're what allow you to spike leptin. But this it's another reason why you really shouldn't keep carbohydrates so low all the time because like it will just just dist- in many many ways make it make it way more difficult. But having this calorie cycling methodology where you have some higher days and some lower days will allow you to have not only mentally allow you to like have something to look forward to and to better deal with the hunger, but also physiologically allow you to decrease hunger over the long term because you're having days where you're actually allowed to to spike leptin and, and improve your or decrease your hunger. Yeah, great, great strategy. We actually in
0: our book Eat It had a real comprehensive. It, it's not about maintenance; it's how to stay full in a calorie deficit. But a lot of those strategies apply to maintenance. Eat it if you're if you're eating like no fiber and you're eating, you know, non. You're, you're eating super calorically dense foods. You're eating a lot of dry fruit, r- dried fruit rather than whole fruit, etc. There's a, a long list in the book that we publish and go in depth on that applies here as well. And we dedicated the book to all the highly palatable foods. We sure did. Without which book would not be, what was it?
1: Possible or needed.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Opinion on wide grip angle pull-ups. Will it harm your shoulders?
1: You know, let's, let's extrapolate this to not just wide angle pull-ups, but let's also talk about things like behind the neck lap pull-downs and, and behind the neck shoulder presses, right? So, so we have, these are all generally wide grip things and they're all vertical movements, right? They're all either vertical pull or vertical push. And they're all like in a, in a somewhat compromising position for the shoulders or at the very least provocative positions for the shoulders. Now, I'll say this. When I write the programs for the inner circle, I'm writing programs for several thousand people at one time, right? And so it's not an individualized program. Inner
0: that inner <laughs> circle, my man,
1: killing it. The, the reason I say that is because I have to take the vast majority of people into consideration. I'm not writing for one individual and, and just assuming they all have sufficient mobility, flexibility, all that stuff. I have literally never in the history of the inner circle, programmed wide grip pull-ups, behind the neck lat pull-downs, or behind the neck shoulder presses for the inner circle, ever. Now, I've also never programmed behind the neck lat pull-downs for any one-on-one client because I think it's a stupid fucking exercise. But I have programmed wide grip pull-ups and behind the neck shoulder presses before for some clients. I very rarely program behind the neck shoulder presses. It's very, very rare, but occasionally I can probably count on two hands how many times I've done it, but I have done it. And I've programmed for many people, wide grip pull-ups, individuals, but not in a group setting. So we can clearly see there's definitely a hierarchy here of like, which ones have the most efficacy and which ones has has the least efficacy out of these three. I'd say the wide, wide grip pull-ups have the most the behind the neck shoulder press have the middle and then the behind the neck lat pulldowns have the least like it's just stupid. I don't see any reason for anybody to do that because it's just fucking stupid. Um, so with that in mind, we could go back to the the wide grip pull up question specifically. There's definitely a time and a place for it. But I think the vast majority of people have no business doing it. And looking at at wide population data, like at the vast majority of people who are working out you definitely do have a greater risk of injury, a greater risk of hurting your shoulders and not even just your shoulders. I mean, just in that, in that position, a greater risk of straining your neck, straining your traps, greater risk. There, there are many more risks associated with it. And not to mention total muscle recruitment is lowered, right? You don't get the best muscle recruitment as compared to a closer grip, chin up, neutral grip, chin up, any of that, you get much better overall muscle recruitment with a a lot lower risk of injury or muscle strain, any of that. So I don't program it for a group. If I have an individual who says, hey, I want to work on this specifically. Yeah, I'll absolutely program it as long as they can do it without pain. Um, But that's not an inherently bad exercise.
0: Go with the grip that is best and makes the most sense for you and that feels the best and you're strongest on is my general approach to Mm -hmm. pull-ups. And when I say grip, I mean grip width, right? Like I'll intentionally program overhand, uh, parallel grip, underhand grip, but with an overhand and and the width go with what feels best and what you're strongest on, uh, for basically everyone that's going to be somewhere between shoulder width and slightly outside of shoulder width Mm -hmm. like shoulder width to 1.5 X shoulder width. And then once you get out into the the realm of like two X shoulder width with your, your grip width, uh, strength comes down substantially. Yeah. Dramatically. So, so not, not only from a muscle recruitment perspective, but a strength perspective, um, between shoulder width and outside of shoulder width, whatever feels best for you makes the most sense. I also like changing, not necessarily grip width. If you have a grip width that works for you on an overhand grip, pull up great, like roll with it, but changing grips in general or changing, you know, from overhand to neutral, um, from phase to phase every few months at some frequency is going to help reduce the little tweaks, little wear and tear, little
1: nags, uh, on, on the joints, especially. I prefer neutral grip. Like if I have to pick one favorite, chin up, pull up variation, it's neutral grip chin ups, like by far, that's my favorite It feels the best on my shoulders feels the best on my elbows, uh, biggest range of motion, most muscle recruitment, like that's the what I that's what I program for the vast majority of people, including myself. Um, if I'm going to change something, it's either going to be like you said, the the type of grip, so either like palms facing me or neutral grip, or a pull up where the palms are facing away, but more likely, I'll change the type of chin up that I'm doing. So let's say I'm going to stick with the neutral grip chin up, right? We're going to stick with that exact variation. Well, cool. So maybe instead of doing, um, maybe instead of doing sets of 12, I'll do weighted and I'll do clusters of four, right? So now it's, I'm changing the intensity as opposed to the variation. Um, maybe instead of doing a regular chin up, I'll do a constant tension chin up. Or instead of a constant tension, I'll do a one and a half. Or instead of a one and a half, I'll do uh, a towel grip. What like there are so many different ways to do essentially the same variation that allow you to get different training. Um, different training. Uh, what's the fucking word? <laughs> You get different uh, training effects from it, right? So you get the, the, a different effect from the, essentially the same movement, but you change it slightly. So it's either the grip or the intensity with which you perform it is, is a great way to change it. And the vast majority of people just don't need a super wide grip pull-up. It's, it's probably not going to benefit them. And it doesn't hit the lats as well as people think it does. A wide grip pull-up does not hit the lats anywhere near as, well, near as well as they think it does. It's actually you usually get better lat recruitment from a more of a regular chin-up variation, where more of a shoulder-width uh, grip apart, and maybe slightly wider than that, and with a, either palms facing your face or a neutral grip. And you also get the added benefit of it also hits your biceps better too, which generally people want as well.
0: Mm. <laughs> My man. All right, last one. This is a non kind of fitness business question, but someone wrote in to info at fitnessbusinessmentorship.com, which is our, our email. If you wanted to submit any questions, info at fitness business mentorship. If you actually subscribe to the email list down in the show notes, then you'll have direct access to email us at uh, any time of day or night. All right. Hey guys, I have a question here I would love your thoughts on. It doesn't have much to do with business, but it can be related to personal training or a client's mindset. My daughter plays volleyball competitively, age 13. Her sportsmanship is amazing. So great that she has the attitude, as long as she has fun, it doesn't matter if she wins, which is great. I love that. But she literally is not phased if they lose every single game in a tournament. If the whole team doesn't have the fire and drive to win... Will they ever make the strides they need to be one of the top competing teams? As with everything, there's a balance, I suppose, but I'd love to know your thoughts. So do you think if a person slash team has no drive to win, will they make progress? Thanks, guys. That's a really good question. I like that. Yeah. Fun one. Do you want to start? Yeah. So I think it's amazing that your 13-year-old daughter is in this like mental place where I think it shows a a level of maturity that I never had to not care whether you win or lose, but still really enjoy it. Enjoy competing, enjoy trying hard, enjoy spending time with your friends, um, enjoy being active and like just has fun. I think that's great. Will she slash the team slash anyone make progress yeah, you, if, if you enjoy playing and you play at a decent frequency, you're going to get better over time at anything. Is she going to make optimal progress? Is she going to be the greatest of all time in volleyball? Is, you know, apply this to, to weightlifting. Are you going to be the strongest? Are you going to have the best, whatever? No, absolutely not. Because the people who reach those pinnacles are out of their mind, like have deep seated issues anger, like childhood stuff. Like pe- people are Michael Jordan types. Like people are insane who get to that level because you can't get to that level without having something wrong in your head. And I say that with the utmost respect and admiration and jealousy. But so, so no, you, you can't reach those levels, but you can make progress. And I th- I'm actually, I admire her for having that perspective because I didn't. And uh, I think it's, I think it's really cool.
1: And I don't think there's anything wrong with it at all. Yeah, I agree. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think what it shows is like, that's clearly not her passion, right? Her passion isn't volleyball. Like she, she's not doing volleyball because she wants to be the greatest ever. She's doing volleyball because she like enjoys being with her friends and she likes, you know, the, the camaraderie and she likes the sport, but like, clearly that's not the thing that she lives or dies by which is great like it's it's actually wonderful that she still does it even though it's not something that like she's the most passionate about because you need to have things in your life that you're not super passionate about that you still uh participate in and you have these events with like that's really really important it shouldn't be either you're all in or you're all out i think it's not as simple as that i think it's like you should like there should be middle of the way in and out like it's totally fine um I completely agree with everything that you just said. Like if if someone isn't out of their mind, like insane, they're not going to be the greatest of all time. Like you have to be insane to be the greatest of all time. Uh, And you have to have, you care way too much, like way too much if you win or lose. Like you have to be willing to, Miss holidays and, and important times with your family and and skip huge events in order to and this isn't just for sports this is for business this is for so many different things in life if you want to be the best of the best of the best and you have such a strong emotional attachment to the outcome then like you are going to sacrifice unbelievable amounts of things in order to achieve that um, so I think it's it's totally fine what I would be interested to hear is though like what is she really passionate about like what what does spark that um that like anger concern fear excitement is it her grades i know that's a big one for for kids that age like uh, like i know i remember vividly i couldn't have given a shit if what i got in a grade as long as i passed like as long as i passed like if i got a a c minus i was like cool great. I'm, C's get degrees. That was my motto. C's get degrees. <laughs> I was like, I didn't care. But when it came to sports, and when it came to business, I was like, super competitive. And when it came to power, here's actually, here's the funny thing. When it came to powerlifting, I was ridiculously competitive. When I was playing basketball with my friends, I didn't give a shit. Because I was like, I'm not really that good. Like, I don't really care. So it's like, it wasn't even just sports in general it was it was specific sports and it was specific activities that that really 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 drew out that anger or that passion or that excitement that what really mattered to me so i I think i i would be very curious to hear what does cause that for her but just because like she's not that like overwhelmingly passionate about volleyball like who cares? Like, cool. So she's not going to be an Olympic volleyball player. Like, that's fine. This, she'll make great memories with great friends and have a wonderful experience. And, Maybe like one day she'll be able to like teach her kids how to play and have a great relationship with the sport, but there'll be something else that she's fiercely passionate about. I do think it's important to have something in your life that you're fiercely passionate about. And it could be family. It could be being a father. It could be being a mother. It could be uh be uh, your business. It could be anything. It could be acting. It could be whatever. It could be learning languages. It could I don't know. Whatever. It could be building. Like, I don't know. It could be carpentry. It doesn't fucking matter. You should have something that you're fiercely passionate about. And I think that the best way to do that is to introduce your children to as many different things as possible so that they can find something that they really care about. Um, but I also wouldn't say that this is a waste of time just because she's not fiercely passionate about it. Just it's a, it's a wonderful thing that she'll have memories of the rest of her life.
0: Great episode. Great episode, brother.
1: This was a good one. I enjoyed this.
0: Yeah, this was really good. We'll be back next week. Uh, if you enjoyed the episode, we would love a review. Spotify, uh, iTunes. Five-star review, please. Yeah, the fives are,
1: uh, yeah. If you're not going to, then. If you're not going to leave a five, just don't leave one at all. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) I think some people leave fours and threes. You told me this. I'm stealing your line. Some people leave fours fours and threes. Fours. Fours. fours Thinking that it's good. Oh, yeah. No, four isn't good. The only good (laughs) review is a five-star review. If you're not going to leave a five-star review, just don't say anything at all. (laughs) <laughs> and just just keep listening
0: and enjoying. But yeah, like I like you know, we're not we're not wasting your time with sponsorships or advertisements on these podcasts. We're just, uh, yeah,
1: leave a review. It helps us a lot. We appreciate it. Love you. great episode. Join the mentorship. Link in the description. show notes. We'll talk to you soon. Goodbye.